it is continually a, a privilege to serve and to fill in for Jim. He's feeling a bit under the weather, so if you would remember to keep our pastor in prayer this week, that would be very good. Let's continue our time of worship together. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Haggai, where we were last week. Haggai chapter 2, verse 10. Haggai is a fun one to find, isn't it? Right between Zephaniah and Zechariah, towards the end of the Old Testament. Let's begin with another word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our ability to come and fellowship together as your body in the unity of the spirit with your word that you have given us, revealed to us in our hands, on our laps. Father, give us a position of humility and reverence before your word. Help us to apply it to our lives, to subject ourselves to its authority, and to let you change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read our passage. Haggai chapter 2, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, 
I will bless you. The word of the Lord. As we approach this third oracle or word or burden of the Lord that the Lord has given to Haggai to his people Israel, we see that there are these last two different messages or or oracles left from the Lord in the book of Haggai. I believe that they're connected and because of their their shared time stamp of the 24th day of the ninth month, and they're also connected in the inherent message of each each word, Um, but as I was... um, uh, lifting up my work before the Lord last night, the Lord uh, directed me to cut a little bit shorter. So unlike what's in your bulletins, we're just going to go through uh, verse 19 this week. My sermons are long enough as it is. And um, as the Lord wills, we'll get to the last uh, oracle, the last word of the Lord that's given on the same day um, in the future. But for the time being, the text before us is verse 10 through 19. Um, this first installment of the word of the Lord that comes on this 24th day of the ninth month. For us, this would be mid-December. The Hebrew calendar is different than ours. Um, And on this day, the 24th day of the ninth month, um, this day marks a significant day for the returned exiles of Israel. It is a day on which the foundation of the temple that would stand in Jesus' day is completed, and it is the day that marks the turning point in the relationship between God and this generation of his people. So we'll see that not only was the foundation of God's house completed on this day, but also it was a foundational day. There are many cultures and nations that use the term foundation day in describing the beginning of their nation or their military unit or their university. Foundation day is a term that is used to describe something foundational. The beginning, the breaking of ground on a new plot of land, the beginning of an institution, the beginning of a nation. Different nations have different ways of describing this, different terms that they use, but it's essentially the same thing that they're celebrating. In Japan, they have National Foundation Day. It celebrates the founding of the nation and the first um, emperor as the imperial line of Japan began. Foundation Day is also a precursor to Australia Day, for those uh, down under. And it celebrates the day when the first fleet arrived in Sydney in 1788. In Germany, they have Unity Day. Unity Day celebrates the foundation of the modern state of Germany, which actually happened in 1990 when Eastern and Western Germany finally became a single state. As Americans, obviously we celebrate our own foundation day, although we call it Independence Day or the 4th of July. We celebrate and commemorate the Declaration of Independence that gave our country its start. And all of these nations, they all have these kinds of celebrations. It all has a significance to it. These days, these foundation days, signify the start of something new, the beginning of something significant and lasting that is worthy of remembrance. The kingdom of God also has a foundation day. And as Christians, all of us share that day. Every Christian must cling to and cherish what God has established for us in Christ Jesus. Here in our text before us today, God reestablishes his favor and his kingdom purposes for Israel after the exile. And for us, 
He has established for all time his kingdom and his people in Jesus Christ. We need to remember our foundation day to continue to build on it and to ensure that we remain within the foundation that the Lord has laid out for us. Since we were just here in the book of Haggai last week, I'll just give a brief word of context for those of you who are new or visiting with this morning. We're in the book of Haggai. Haggai is one of the Old Testament prophets, one of the minor prophets, not because his message is unimportant, but because it's shorter than some of the other prophets. Um, Some of us even talked about this in small groups this week, so it should be fairly familiar to you, but God's people, Israel, has come back from exile. They have returned now to the promised land in Palestine, and they found it quite in disorder. There are foreign peoples that have been moved in um, by the, the conquerors, and the people who come back are given a charge to build God's house in Jerusalem, and they start. They make a beginning, and they start the work of the foundation But the work ceases because of the opposition that they experience, which cues the word of the Lord to come by the hand of Haggai and Zechariah, who prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem, as Ezra 5 and Haggai 1 tells us. Um, God sends his word to his people to stir them up to obedience. First, they need to be confronted with their disobedience and their apathy, their um, concern for their own welfare and their lack of concern for the Lord and his glory and his house. And so in Haggai 1, the Lord um, comes, the word of the Lord comes by the hand of Haggai with this message that starts with the question. One of the interesting parts of Haggai and its prophetic literary structure is that each of these words of the Lord come with a question that starts it out. In Haggai 1, the question is, Is this a time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Of course, the answer is no, it is not. And so God brings his exhortation. In Haggai 2, after the people start the work about a month later, um, they quickly become discouraged already with um, different things. The work, the comparisons to the past, um, the difficulties that they still presently face, their lack of resources. Um, But the word of the Lord comes, and he asks the question, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Of course, the answer is, yeah, this is just like nothing. We, We are discouraged in this work, and God gives them comfort. He says, Be strong, work, for I am with you. Do not fear, for God is working, and he will accomplish his ends. Of course, he calls us to work with him, And now, uh, several months later, after this encouragement, the people have been working on the foundation of the temple of the Lord, and they've come to completion. And on this significant day, on the 24th day of the ninth month, again mid-December, the Lord brings another word that also starts with a question. This question is two queries to the priests about the Levitical law. In our passage today, we'll see that God brings these two questions to the priests. We'll see that God gives the reasons behind these questions. And also, God calls for consideration because of the momentous event of this day. First, God brings these two questions to the priests, verses 10 through 12. On the 24th day of the ninth month, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, thus says the Lord of hosts. Ask the priests about the law 
If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil of, or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. We need a little bit of explanation here because not many of us are used to carrying around holy meat in our pockets. But um, in the Levitical law, there was provision for God's priests to partake of the sacrifices that were made to God on his altar. The Levites, of course, had no inheritance in the land of Israel. They had no land, no permanent dwelling place. The Lord was their inheritance, and he would provide for them. And one of the ways that he did that was through portions of the sacrifices that were offered on the altar. Leviticus chapter 6 talks about these offerings that are given for sin and for other purposes, and how the priest can take some of this meat home with them for consumption. When the meat would be taken, it was to be treated specially, because this meat was sacrificed to the Lord, and on the burning altar of God, this meat became holy. And the priests were instructed to handle it carefully, to um, wash any garment that had blood splattered on it, to break any pot that was used in the instrument of this. And part of the uh, procedure of this event was the inclusion of the holiness that is transferred from the first thing that is holy to the second thing that is holy that touches it. In this case, if you take this holy meat that has been made holy by God through the sacrifice of this animal on the altar, this meat is now holy, and if you take it in your pocket or the fold of your garment, now your, your garment becomes holy. But the question is about this Levitical law, is holiness transferable? The answer is no, or no, but yes, to only to the second degree. See, the thing is, the meat is holy. You put it in the fold of your garment, and your garment becomes holy, but you touch your garment to anything else, and that does not become holy. Holiness can transfer to the second degree, but not to the third degree. Something can be made holy by God, or by action of sacrifice to God on the altar, but holiness is not transferable past that. We see some interesting significances here. Isaiah laments his uncleanness before the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. He stands before the Lord of hosts in his holy temple. The glory of the Lord fills the temple, and there are these seraphim that stand above the throne of the Lord, and they cry out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in response to this vision, Isaiah says, Woe is me. I am done. I am undone. For my eyes have seen the king. Isaiah is very much aware of his uncleanness in the light of God's glory and his presence. But then one of the seraphim flies to Isaiah, and he takes with him a burning coal from the altar of God. And it, he touches it to Isaiah's lips, and the seraphim says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. It's an awesome 
example of the transfer of holiness in the Old Testament before we look forward to Jesus as someone is made holy not by action of their own worth or right but by the sole action of God. You are able to be made holy because of Christ in you. You are nothing in yourself and you do not have the power to make anything else holy. You're just a fold. You have a treasure within you, like a, a clay pot with a treasure that you hold that makes you holy and makes you clean. God pronounces us to be clean. Again, not on our own worth or our own right, but he makes us holy. And being made holy, we are now enabled to do his work and to proclaim his name by his action and his power. Of course, God is working an argument with this, and we're not even there yet. So the first question is, is holiness transferable? The answer is no, or to the second degree only. The fold becomes holy that contains the holy meat, um, but nothing that the fold touches. So the second question. The second question is, is uncleanness transferable? Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priests answer and say, it does unclean. Dirtiness is a lot easier to spread than cleanness. I know I have children, they touch sticky things, sticky things get everywhere. And, sh and later you have like sticky things on the keyboard of my computer and you're like, how did that even get there? I just wiped my daughter's face and now there's stickiness everywhere. Sin and death and uncleanness are a part of our life here on this earth with the brokenness of sin and it is easy for it to become strewn around to corrupt everything it touches. Here, uh, God is referring to another part of the law where God's people would come, become unclean by contact with something. A dead body is unclean, and you are not to touch it. Anybody who does is unclean for a specified amount of time, and they're to remain out of the camp until they can become clean again and then come back in. So God gives directions for this in Numbers uh, 19. Uh, whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and anyone who touches it shall be unclean until evening. So again, a little bit confusing, but first level of uncleanness, you have dead body, right? Dead body is unclean. Second level of uncleanness, you have the person who touches dead body, they are unclean by the second degree because they touched it and now they are unclean. Now you have that person who touches something else, a toothbrush, a doorknob, this is a great lesson for you know uh, health awareness, right? Um, you touch something else, and that becomes unclean, third degree, dirty person touches something, it becomes dirty. And even in Numbers 19, whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and anyone who touches it shall be unclean until evening, technically the fourth degree of uncleanness spreading. Now, the reason for all of this is so that we can understand a little bit more about this law, about why God is asking this question. The priests answer and they say, it does become unclean. If you take holy meat and put it in the fold of your pocket and touch something, that holiness is not transferred. But if you take something dirty and take it into you and you touch something, that becomes dirty and anybody who touches that thing becomes dirty as well. Uncleanness is much more transferable than holiness. We see this principle in our lives as well. Sin has corrupted us. 
and we feel the effects of that corruption in every aspect of our lives. In nearly every human interaction, no matter what your intentions are or your heart behind it, we bring with us the dirtiness of sin, sinful motivations, sinful thoughts, sinful desires. Even our best actions are tainted because we are sinners. The effects of our sinful behavior are then also able to go beyond us to affect the lives of other people, even our children and our children's children. In this spread of uncleanness, we see our need for the gospel because we're stuck. We're stuck in this cycle of sinfulness that we spread and the spread of it affects everything we touch, just like little children with sticky peanut butter fingers. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Some of your translations say filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We stand in need of the gospel because we are in this second category of transferableness. We are unclean. And like Isaiah says, in light of God's holiness, our only response is to say, I am unclean. I'm done. I am undone because now I'm standing in the presence of this holy God. But God asked these questions, these two queries to the priests about the Levitical law to emphasize that holiness is transferable or holiness is not transferable and uncleanness is. The point why God asks these questions is found in verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me declares the Lord and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Because God's people had been in sin, remember back to Haggai chapter one, the people have fallen off from, from obeying the Lord. They have procrastinated and put off the work of the temple. They have concerned themselves about their own lives and their own safety, their own well-being, um, and have forgotten about what God has commanded them to do. As a result of this, the covenant curses of Deuteronomy 30 have come into play. The land is not bearing for them. The rain is not coming. They're, they're working and they're not reaping. It's a little bit of vanity of vanities. And all of this is for a reason because God said, when you come into this land, you need to obey the Lord. If you do not, the land will spit you out like it just did. And now the people are returning and these covenant promises of the land are taking effect because the people are not acting in obedience to the Lord. So God himself is blowing away the proceeds of their labor. And what's really discouraging is that even the temple and the sacrifices that they've been performing to the Lord, they've been renewing these actions, but so far even the works of their hands are unclean in God's sight. So this is truly a discouraging thought. All the work that you can do for God, all of the right things that you can do can be regarded as unclean and as nothing in his sight. 
if they are not done with the right heart, with the right foundation. The sad truth and our foundational need of the gospel is simply that you cannot be good on your own. You cannot do good on your own. Your best actions, your best thoughts, your righteousness is like filthy rags. And all of the work of your hands is unclean. We need something else. We need someone else. As the New Testament authors will write, we need an, uh, a foreign righteousness. We need a righteousness not our own. We need a savior. Well, this is all very significant, but God is telling these people, this is your status before me. You have been working, but I have these questions for you that point out to your understanding that still the work of your hands is unclean, but there is hope because God's message is not done. This brings us to the last literary section of the oracle. God calls them to consider the momentousness of this day. There are, again, just like in chapter 1, two calls to consider as God approaches his people, as he asks them questions, as he gets them thinking, as he helps them process. Now God brings his message and he calls them to consider. Verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came a heap to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. There's these two calls to consider. The first one is negative. The second one is positive. That's also mirrored in chapter 1. Um, this first call to consider, this negative one, is God saying, consider this day. Consider before this day. How have you fared before this day? You did not fare well. The, the consequences of your sin are in effect. Um, you do not have much. And in fact, what you have is being frustrated by the Lord. It's interesting to consider the same God who is able to take a few loaves and fishes and make it multiply, is able to take 50 measures and make it decrease. Like God himself is blowing away their productivity because of their disobedience. But all of this is because our God is merciful and loving. He disciplines those whom he loves and his discipline is meant to bring us to repentance. Which is why this is so significant. Why these words of the Lord have come. Why the whole book of Haggai exists. is because God is saying, consider your ways. I have been leading you to repentance and you are not coming. These hardships, these hard times that you're in, it's been meant to lead you to me, God says. And you're not coming, so now I'm going to send my word by the prophets to you to lead you to, with a strong and mighty arm to repentance. Our God is truly merciful and loving, and he does this in our lives as well. So consider before this day, you did not fare well. And in fact, these things that have been happening were supposed to lead you to repentance but they did not. 
You did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Now, second consider, verse 18, and this is the positive one. Verse 18, consider from this day onward, and he emphasizes which day we're talking about, the 24th day of the ninth month since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive trees have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. God asked the question, consider from this day, is the seed in the barn? The answer is no, the seed is not in the barn. Actually, the seed is in the ground because mid-December is when uh, they replant their fields and they take the seed and they put it in the ground. Um, so they have nothing. Their barns are empty. They're waiting and depending on next year's harvest and they don't have much, especially because their fruit trees have not been producing. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, they've all yielded nothing. They've been experiencing these effects of their sin, and they have nothing, but God says, consider from this day, what do you have? You have nothing. From this day, I will bless you. This is the major promise that makes this day truly foundational. The foundation of the temple is completed on this day. But what makes this day foundational is what God does that changes everything. God alone, by his divine action, restores favor and covenant promises to his people in this declaration of blessing. And this applies to our lives as well. First, we recognize that God must have our full repentance with actions of our obedience. Even in our hopeless state, God declares us to be his people, and he makes us clean, giving blessing to us. Even in the midst of our sinfulness, we don't deserve it, but he gives it to us by his own action. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel. You cannot make yourself clean, and you need nothing less than an act of God on your behalf for you to be made holy, clean, and a member of God's family. The wrath that is directed towards you and your sin has been spent, satisfied, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. However, it does remain for you to come, to hear, and to put repentance into action. You see, on this day, the people of Israel have completed the foundation of the Lord's house. They have repented of their sin. Their hearts have been stirred to obedience. God has comforted them in the midst of their fear, in the midst of the opposition. He said, be strong, work, I am with you. They have committed themselves to this work of the Lord on God's house, but their work and their hands are still unclean. And so, as the people finish the foundation for the house of the Lord, God lays a foundation for his people to be blessed and cleansed in Christ. He declares them to be clean. He restores relationship and blessing to them because of the future sacrifice that would be made on their behalf. 
this foundation day for Israel and for us marks a critical beginning and a turning point in the lives of God's people. First, our foundation day in Christ is a critical beginning. Because if you do not get foundation day right, you have no share in Christ at all. That is, if you do not come to God on the foundation that has been laid for you in Christ Jesus, you cannot come to him. You are unclean. The work of your hands is unclean. Your life is unclean. You must come through Jesus. Foundational day is not only a, a critical beginning, but it's also a critical turning point. Because where we once stood as enemies of God, who are subject to his wrath, in Christ, now we are able to stand as sons and daughters of the king, as the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. At his hand, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In Christ, your foundation day is found both in the person in the work of, of Jesus Christ, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, who Jesus is and what he has done marks the foundation day for who you are in Christ. This is now who you are. You are founded upon that day. Your foundation day is also founded upon the day that you came to Christ and became a new creation. As Christians, we ought to cling to the foundation of what has been accomplished for us in Christ, even more than a national holiday. Our foundation is the gospel, and it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is first and foremost his work. We had no part in bringing it about. You're just a fold, and you carry holy meat in you you did not make yourself holy. God did it in you. And therefore, we celebrate what God has done for us and in us. But our foundation day is not just a passive thing. We celebrate what God has done for us, but it is also an event that requires your response. Without your action of calling out to God in the name of Jesus, there is no new foundation. Without your action of responding to God in humility and repentance, there is no new life in God. And without your action of continuing in newness and blessing to build upon that foundation that the Lord has laid, there is no love, no obedience, or real working relationship with God. This day is foundational because the foundation has been laid the people have obeyed, but ultimately because God restores himself to his people in covenant blessings. He restores himself to them in the promise of a Messiah, as we'll see in the next passage, with the promise to Zerubbabel. God restores favor and blessing and cleanness to his people because they could not do it on their own. And that is what makes this day foundational. There's more to happen after this day. The temple has to still get built. 
It takes them another four years from now to finish building it. And when they do, later in Ezra, there's trumpets and there's fanfare and there's celebration, there's rejoicing. The people continue in the work that God has laid out for them to do. As God has blueprinted it upon the ground, this is what you are to do. This is how you are to work. And as God's people, this is the reason why we have been made holy. We saw last week several passages, one of my favorites in Second uh, Peter 2, um, you are a people for his own possession. You were taken, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has done this for you. God has brought you to be his own, not so that you can sit back and relax, but so that you can work and proclaim who he is. There's further work to do. God has laid the foundation in your life, and now there's a house that needs to be built, a spiritual house. We are all being built into a spiritual house, and we are all given this charge to have zeal for the Lord and to advance his kingdom by making, it, by making disciples of all nations. This is our charge in Christ. We need to remember what God has done for us, to cherish this day, to consider from this day onward who you are and how you will fare in your obedience to the king. But it is also quite possible that some of us um, have not experienced foundation day yet. If you are not in Christ, then you are still under the curse of sin and you're experiencing the vanity of life and the discipline of God that is meant to lead you to repentance. The work of your hands is not clean, and your uncleanness spreads to every area of your life, even the lives of others. You need to come to Christ in broken humility to be made clean. And we know that just as the leper approached Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We know that Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. I beg you, do not leave this place today without making today your foundation day or without cherishing anew what God has done for you in Christ and resolving to work with him in this work that he has done for you. Come talk to me. If you'd like to learn more or learn how to have this relationship with the Lord, come talk to Rich. He's up here for prayer as we sing the last song, or to any of the elders, we would love for this to be your foundation day. And as Christians, we have something marvelous to celebrate and to rejoice in, to consider and to remember as we continue to go into the new year. Let's pray.